Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. It is Deb Crow, your host, and such a fun episode today because I have a fellow Canadian who I'm excited to introduce, Louise Karsh, but she is now living down under in Australia. Let me tell you a little bit about Louise. Number one, she's super fun. She provides branding and marketing advice to professionals for business growth, And she's been described as a cross between a Harvard professor and Bette Midler, but in sensible shoes. She's a little bit Ivy League and a little bit fun. She will ensure that your brand breaks out instead of blending in. She's a one-time marketing faculty member of the University of California with a master's degree in adult education. Her background as a comic, she's an outward bound instructor and now a business owner entrepreneur extraordinaire. Louise loves to provide branding and beautifully simple business growth strategies. You might be interested in knowing that Louise won four national adult figure skating championships and she stays active in sports, her community, and the arts. She was a team leader for the Vancouver Olympic Committee, an artistic director for the World Transplant Games, and she produced Jim Hawking's play, Surfing Vietnam, now a best-selling book on Kindle. Louise is the world's only award-winning fairy godmother, and she brings comfort and joy to the world. So Louise, welcome to the show. Do you mind saying that over and over again every time I wake up in the morning? I will. I'll record it, and it can be like your morning affirmation. <laughs> You're gorgeous, Deb. Hello to you and to all your brave, wholehearted listeners. I'm so excited to have you. It's evening for me and next day morning for you. So thank you for starting your day with us. It's a pleasure. I am ready to dive in. Here is my first leadership question for you. You have a love and a passion for words, and you have alluded that you are finally comfortable writing about yourself in third person. Share the transition with us and the journey of how you got from first to third and what transpired. Well, each one of us has to learn how to toot our own horn without blowing it. That gorgeous phrase comes from the book Brag by, oh, where's my copy of it? Can't see it on my bookshelf. Um, And what I meant by that is when you have to write your own bio, whether it's for um, a piece of work that you want to get, you have to feel comfortable putting your assets out there. And it took me a while to kind of own, as um, some people like to say, how to own my awesome without feeling uncomfortable. I mean, I actually forgot some of the things that you said when you did my intro. So um, even though I know that's on my, you know, one of my bios somewhere. So yes, the transition, 
I think when you're a leader is to listen to the voice of your self-sufficiency more than the voice of your self-critic. Well, I absolutely love that. And it's so interesting because when I introduce all of my podcast guests, they're like, wow, is that really me? I forgot I did that. So it's a little bit of a trip down memory lane, but it's always nice to pause and think back when someone else is introducing you. So how fun. That's amazing. My second question is the one that all of my podcasts get. And it's why I named the podcast Imperfect. What imperfections do you bring to your heart-centered leadership as a writer, speaker, and consultant? How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) That's the usual reaction. Oh my gosh, Deb. (laughs) Well, look, let's understand the human brain. We have a brain that has let us survive as a species by noticing what's wrong, bad, or dangerous. And so we have to rewire ourselves to notice the good. So let me put that out there first. In terms of imperfection, I was born imperfect. And I don't say that um, metaphorically. I actually say that physically. So I was born with a cleft lip and palate. I speak pretty well now. You might hear a little bit of a lisp, but um, I was born needing surgery right away. I, you know, I uh, have had multiple. The, The gift that I bring to my leadership is realizing that each person has some sort of wound. And if they are acting out from a part of them that isn't conscious, they can cause harm to others. So I start, my imperfection gives me empathy. It also helps me understand that when you're different in some way, people will notice you. So at first as a little one, that meant I got picked on until I know I kicked some kid in the head because I was a figure skater and I could do that. Um, I didn't, you know, you know, I don't necessarily recommend um, kicking people in the head, but it certainly stopped the bullying. You just need to do it once. It's impressive. You look like, you know, a kung fu hero as a leader. What it means for me as a writer, what it means for me as a speaker, what it means for me as a consultant is knowing each person has within them gifts that might have been thwarted or buried along the way. And that my role is to be as brave as I can be in my own work. Because when I learn how to tame my own dragons of doubt, of fear, then I can help others do the same and they can lead powerfully, authentically in a world that needs their leadership. Well, I'm just going to put a period after that because that was just so beautifully unpacked. And I think it's one of the greatest answers I've had to that question. And I love that you tied in your own story of your childhood and how you view empathy. And I think the world needs a lot of empathy right now. Mm -hmm. And thank you for sharing your heart. I appreciate it. Now, my third word, sorry, can I just jump in there for a second? Absolutely. So heart has the same root as courage, right? Courage is a French word for cour, from heart. And we know from Brene Brown's work and others, and even folks like Churchill, right? Nothing happens, nothing in the world happens 
without some courage first, without some heart first. So darling, please go ahead with your next question. But I had to stop because you said a special word. Well, I love that. And you know, you're, as you as you just mentioned that, it made, me, it made me right away think of The Wizard of Oz. It's the number one yes. thing that we remembered from The Wizard of Oz and The Tin Man. And all he wanted was a heart. So it's just funny how we have mnemonics and these memorized emotions to memories that we can align and, and make us think of certain things. And I just think it's such a great point. So I'm glad that you pointed that out. So thank you. Of course. Now, my third question is, I know you have written a quote, which I'm going to read. Quote, I can't wait to hear what I said. <laughs> I actually love this and I'm going to challenge you a little bit on it. I'm kind of excited that you wrote it. You, your quote is good is no longer good enough. The goal is perfection and the path that takes us there leads to excellence. So my question is, do you believe in your heart that perfection exists or that we continue on a path of progression and evolve as human beings. Yes, perfection exists. Perfection exists because I have seen figure skaters do a performance that has taken my breath away. We've all seen an artist do something that was so exquisite. We were like, oh, you know, in those moments, I think we get to witness a piece of the divine. Um, we enter into the infinite us finite creatures. So yes, perfection absolutely exists. You can read a sentence and go, oh, you know, you can read a sentence by Annie Prue and just pause because it's so beautiful. You can go up to a painting and, and be mesmerized. You can see a Hans Memling painting from the, what, the 1400s and the quality of light in that painting is pure perfection. So yes, I think perfection exists. I think what happens in this world where we want now, 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 more, 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 is we settle for easy instead of extraordinary. And if you're willing to aim for, to be the number one in your category, to be the best at what you do, you might not get there all the time. But in the process of getting there, you become the person you need to be to make the difference only you can make. I love that. And it's making me think about... A fun fact, if you want to be a genius or an expert or perfect at something, you have to put in those 10,000 hours. Would you say you put in those hours to become the perfect version of who you are today in the craft that you've chosen? So let's look at the 10,000 hours, which is out of Malcolm Gladwell versus David Epstein's work called Range. So these two giant thinkers have looked at different ways of how leaders can make a difference in the world. Malcolm Gladwell says, essentially, uh, you know, you have a niche and you, you double down on that niche and you, you spend tons of time in it and go you. But David Epstein, who wrote the book Range says, the ones who have multiple skills like you, Deb, right? Look at the consulting path you've had. You've had numerous careers and you are now an executive coach because you have range. You understand different, different sectors. You understand situational leadership, what's needed when. So I, um, I am now 
Australia's top name whisperer. That means I named products and brands. I've named churches. I've renamed 102-year-old educational institutions. I have named uh, global tech companies that serve countries around the world. Well, I would not have gotten there. Like I wasn't born going, I'm going to be a name whisperer. I mean, even though at the age of three, I was making up stories and my mother would write down these crazy character names. So I've always had a love of words, but it's now at, you know, the, the last uh, chapter of my working career that I've chosen this particular niche. And because I've been an expert in other fields, because I know how to find who is the best in my field, whether it was the best as a figure skater, whether it was the best as a comic, whether it was the best as a community uh, developer. I mean, I just figured out who was the best. So I studied with Richard Bowles when I did career management, who wrote the best-selling career book of all time. And when you hang out with a master like Dick Bowles, or now I'm in the world of marketing and I hang out with folks like Seth Godin, when you hang out with the best, success leaves clues. And you can figure out what excellence in them is calling out the traits and the habits I need to cultivate in myself to be of most service in my lifetime? I love success leaves clues. That is intriguing and inviting. I have to throw in a 3B question because I know listeners oh are going to think, how did she do that? So I love when you hear, hang out with five people who are going to enrich your life, make it better, whom you want to become. How did you get to hang out with Richard Bull and Seth Godwin? Because people, Godin, I know people are going to think, well, that's easy for Louise. There's always a story. People don't always see the grit, the tenacity, the emotion. So share a little bit of, of how and part of the 10,000 hour equation that got you there. Well, it's so interesting that you say that's easy for Louise because you have to remember that, I mean, I was failed in grade one. Like who the frig fails grade one, right? I was failed in grade one because of the way I looked and spoke. And so when, when somebody is disfigured we think that they're less intelligent somehow and i have like Deb, you know i've got a bunch of degrees i was not less intelligent i was put in a box so i have had to fight my way out of that box emotionally almost any moment where i have to be brave so with richard bowles i was working as a career counselor for woman power in london ontario and I had read his book, What Colors Your Parachute? And he was speaking at the national, at NatCon, the National Conference on Career Managers in Ottawa. And, they, and he was speaking in the old train station. And because I loved him, I loved what he said. I loved how he wrote. I went early and got a seat in the front row. I was so excited. I mean, I was geeking out, right? This is before we had phrases like, um, you know, fangirl and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, I was in the front row and I saw him speak. He brought a flip chart all the way from California. He's a former, um, he was a Harvard grad in physics. He was a Episcopalian tree, uh, priest. Um, he's since passed. He died at 90. Um, he was a Mensa guy. The guy was brilliant. He built his own flip chart, black paper, 
black UV light so that anytime he wrote with colored chalk, like the words were luminescent, like little dust of, you know, pink and yellow and green dust was luminous as he was writing. I was transfixed by like the tools he was using. And then what he's talked about, that enthusiasm means in theos, God in us, and that your job was to bring yourself to the world and combine your love of work and play and service and learning. I was like, he's my man. And so I looked up like, how do I learn more from him? And so you could go and do training with him, but it was like $5,000. This was in the 90s. How was I going to get $5,000 US working for a community service agent? So, you know, I, 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 I wrote to him and I said, look, like, how do I, how do, I do this? I, I, I can't afford to come, but I want to come. He's like, okay, here's what you do. You raise money to come. So you, you, what you do is you say, I'm going to go to this event and, and you ask different organizations to, to, to pay for you to do a presentation when you come back. Ask a whole bunch of organizations, you'll get the money to come. I'm like, okay, that's good. So I, I went to all these organizations. They gave me money to go. I didn't quite raise it all. Close to the deadline, I wrote to Dick and said, look, at, um, I've been able to raise this much. And he goes, come, I'll cover the rest. Well, nobody ever follows up on his advice. I was one of the few people to do that. So I went to his workshop at Bend, Oregon. It was two weeks on career and life planning. I was all in, Deb. I was all in. He loved my energy. He loved my enthusiasm. He asked me to be on his staff team. So I was on his staff team. You know, like if you are hungry, if you are hungry and humble, people will see that. And, uh, you know, years later, he, be he became a friend. I mean, not a close friend. The man was a genius. I mean, but I was, on the, I was on the inner circle enough that I, I, I could see how he lived. I could see how he treat, you know, wait staff. You know, a genius as he was is only as good as um, the kindness that he extends to people like a waiter. So, you know, with, with Seth Godin, who... Um, I've been reading for years and following his work for years when he offered this first online course called an Alt MBA. I did it again. I was all in, um, you know, I was nominated for some award, asked to be a coach. Um, I did another course of his, the, the marketing seminar. I was all in there. And that was when I was working on the book that I, I have out now, which is subsequently won four awards. Like the thing is, is when you, when you bring your heart and soul to your work, that is so rare. Like You're going to stand out. So, you know, I've done a lot of personal work because I have experienced a lot of trauma in my life because I was born different and because people who are disfigured or, um, you know, just seen as less valuable, you do become the target of um, unwanted, you know, ugh, stuff. So, you know, I have, you have to work through whatever your gunk is. You have to get all the stuff that's out of your way. Because I'll tell you, if anybody listening to this is shiny, people who are dark will try and steal your light. That is just how the world works. So you have to get that out of the way, reclaim your brilliance, and find the people around you that have chosen to be a, to complete professionals. They have daily habits that bring their best selves into the work all the time and get as close to them as you can. It's not about who, you know, it's easy for you, Louise. No, it's not easy. It's never been easy, but I haven't let that stop me. I have chosen to do the difficult and that makes me daring. Mic drop, sister. 
Did you know that I also grew up with a disability, which I have not yet shared on this mm. podcast. And wow, I, I was born with a corneal ulcer. Wow. So in 1966, they didn't know what it was. So I wore the lovely plastic pink eye patch with the black elastic band mm. that held it on. So you can know where this story is going. I never wore makeup. I never learned how to do makeup because I wasn't going to do one eye. Learning to drive, um, the bullying, the enduring yeah. of, you know, the kids going by and calling you Captain Hook and snapping the the elastic on the back of your head. And it's, it is, it's those who choose to rise and not be labeled and break the grit and break the, the bullying to let people realize that's not who we are. It's just what happened to us. Well, it is actually who we are. Like, let's look at what's happened to you, my sweet. You had something in your eye that was a problem. And what do you do in your life? You help leaders see better. Cool, isn't it? So, I, I believe we land in the space we're meant to be. And it's, it's you, you framed it so beautifully by saying, you know, it's not always shiny as we're going through this, but we learn from all the different experiences, whether it be work or life or trauma, everything has beauty in it. If you choose to see and find the little cornerstone tucked in each part of the day or each part of the, the remnants, if you will, of whatever that episode was or that experience. And again, if you lead with open eyes and heart, we always find the answers that we're seeking. Well, yes, and not everything is beautiful. There is malevolence. There are people who are damaged and hurt and they hurt others. And when you're brave enough and you've survived bullying and you survived people seeing you as less than, it gives you empathy for anybody who's marginalized. And it also teaches you as a leader that your job is to lift people up. Your job is to empower others, share power so that they can be their best selves. You get that and you get that because you're right. Your path has shown you how to be whole despite the brokenness of the world. Absolutely. Well, my three B kind of went on there, but it's always, I knew it'd be a good conversation. <laughs> so my darling, let's talk about your award-winning book, Word Glue. I know there's a story behind this vision and the execution. So please Take us on a little journey to where this vision came from and congratulations on all the success you've had with it and all the awards you've won and, and tell us how this came to fruition. Books were my friend. The, when I was little, I didn't 
like when I was really little, like that gorgeous age of sort of, you know, two to four where you're finding words and, you know, and like there's nothing more magical than a four-year-old, right? They're just in the moment. They're like, it's funny, it's joyful, it's sad, it's right. Like they're pure emotion, right? Well, I, I, I just had this love and wonder of the world, right? Everything was alive. Like I could talk to butterflies because, you know, some people are doing these fancy drugs in South America to figure out that they're one with the universe. Well, every every four-year-old knows they're one with the universe. Like, and I knew I was one with the universe, but I also knew that the, I remember, I remember looking at my books and feeling that my books on my shelf were alive and, and they were, right? Every writer puts everything into themselves in a book. So books were my friends when I didn't understand why I was getting picked on at school. They were a refuge. They were like the library. I thought the library was the most amazing place in the world. Like nature was wonderful, but libraries, you could pick up a book and there was a whole world. Oh my gosh. So books, books to me are pure magic. And I knew that one day I would write a book. Now I've written a book on how to name your business, how to name your brand. And I, because I, I, I started a bunch of books and I couldn't find my way to the end. I was like, okay, what do I know about that? I don't care so much about it that it's going to stop me, that perfectionism is going to stop me because perfectionism is helpful, but it can also be a trap. <laughs> so then I start going down the path of writing this book on naming, discovered that there's only a couple of naming books in the world on how to name your brand. And most of them don't share all the naming methods because either they haven't word nerded out enough to find them or they don't want to share all their secrets. So I decided to write the most generous naming book in the world, sharing all the methodologies for why some brand names work and others don't. And I looked at some of the best-selling books in the world to do that. So again, model your heroes. Um, it started out as Namefluence, how to name your business for success, which is a bad name and a bad tagline. And working through the program, This Is Marketing, the Seth Godin's program. I was writing about the book day after day. And, and I wrote word glue in response to a post and Seth chimes in. He goes, that's the name of your book. I was like, oh, the, yes, it is. And my friendship with him meant that I could show him my book and say, and you know, and, and I don't even know if I'm supposed to say that. Am I supposed to say that? Look, he's a very generous man. And if you're generous in his community over time, you sort of earn just like any brand does, attention and trust is, is a cycle in the economy now. So when you gain someone's attention and you build trust, you, you build a relationship. So he helped my book evolve. I have to give him credit for that. Yes, I put in the thousands of hours and the numerous of iterations. And yes, I have an amazing team. Wade Gilpin, G-I-L-P-I-N, did the cover. Julia Afflecht did the internal. She's taking a year off from book design because she's going back to Finland. So, and Kara Simpson was my book midwife, midwife. Ruth Wilson was the most amazing editor. So I, I got a series of amazingly gifted people around me. And I'm only as good as the gold in my treasure chest. And I'm so grateful for them, Deb. So yes, it's one... And this is what blew me away. It won the gold medal 
for the Axiom Book Awards in the reference category because it's a how-to book against, you know, the Random Houses and the Wileys and the Harvard Business Press. And that, like, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it so much that my friend Philip um, Guichard, whom you've also interviewed, <laughs> made me stand up in um, the power pose. Um, what is it? A.B. Cuddy's power pose and say over and over again, I am an award-winning author. I am an award-winning author. No, say it like you mean it. I'm an award-winning author. Like, no, no, come on, Louise. I am an award-winning author. Like, Deb, I have to say it over and over again to, to, to own it. So it's been an extraordinary journey. But what's most important is it's in 20 countries helping people who do work that matters name their brand so that they get the attention they deserve. That's what really matters. I've created something that's of service. Well, I'm excited and I'm going to order a copy and I want it autographed and I want something motivational pulled out of this interview, put in the front of it. <laughs> Dealio. Deal. All right. We're going to switch gears and I'm going to ask you what I call the fab four. And it's just four fun questions, whatever's sitting on the top of your mind. Are you ready? I'll tell you what's sitting on the top of my mind. A bad haircut that I did myself in lockdown for <laughs> COVID Melbourne, Australia. So I don't think we want to talk about what's on the top of my mind. But girl, I will tell you what's in my heart. So you go. All right. First question. Crayola calls you. You are a new addition to the crayon box. What color would you be and why? Yellow. Taxi. Because I help people get where they want to go. Although maybe I should be purple Uber. I don't know. But yes, some color, some color that I get to name that represents movement. Oh, maybe lightning. Yeah, I'm silver and I'm lightning. I love it. Second question. I'm going to gift you a time capsule for 2020. <laughs> what, what, what will you put into it before you bury it to represent this year? I put a couple things in the time capsule? It's your time capsule, whatever you want to put in it. Okay. What I'm really proud of is that I coordinated my street. We have some seniors on the street and I made sure everybody had masks that were made by Annie, our local seamstress. And in it, I put a note called Masquerade, M-A-S-K-E-R-A-I-D-E. Um, -E. So I had fun with it and it had little tips on how to use your mask. So I'll put that little slip of paper that was in the mask that people could use. And not everybody told my, I didn't give masks to everybody on my street, but I made sure everybody had a phone number. And if they wanted a mask, they could come get one because some people, you know, wanted their own thing. That's fine. So I'm really proud of that. It, again, it's being of service. It's going from me to we. The other thing I would put in there is um, a picture of the little library. So somebody got rid of a rabbit hutch and I repainted it. And I, I had a little library before just in a plastic cart like those plastic Tupperware things so people can take a book, leave a book. But um, our libraries are closed. Again, stage four lockdown. And um, so I've, I've been painting and making beautiful this little rabbit hutch and turning it into a little library. And the other thing that I will put in it at the end of 2020 is my new book because I'm writing the next book and I'm in process right now. And the other thing I'll put in the time capsule is a tiny silver heart. Remember that courage is what we need because if we're all here, 
it's going to be fine. I love it. Great, great representation of the year for sure. My third question is, as an award-winning fairy godmother, and we know you have magical powers. <laughs> we all do. What wish would you grant for the world right now with your magic wand? Empathy. If we had empathy for China when they went through their horror, if we really saw what was happening to them, the world would have protected themselves more quickly. If we had empathy for the three billion animals who were killed in the Australian forest fires, we would pay attention to climate change. If we had empathy for the fires that are now raging in California, if we had empathy for the number of climate refugees we have pouring across countries, the world has enough food, the world has enough shelter, the world has enough medicine, the world has enough capacity to educate each person, but we don't have enough empathy. My favorite part of that answer was that you paused and there's always so much power when we pause and really mm -hmm. think about what we want our answer to be. And I agree with you. I, uh, I think we had enough before, but I also think the world gave us an opportunity to pause and reflect. My last question. Can't wait to hear this answer. What do you want your legacy to be? Gosh, golly, I know. I was thinking about that because, um, you know, you're supposed to have one sentence, right, that represents what you did with your life. Abe Lincoln united, Abraham Lincoln united a country and freed slaves. So I hope, my darling, that my legacy is that I added more joy to the world and helped people find their best selves so they could be of service. Well, you do bring comfort and joy to the world, and you do that with speaking and writing and coaching and consulting or consolidating, consulting. There, I'm tongue-tied. See, this is why I love the name of this podcast, Being Imperfect, because I, I, my brain said one word and my, word, my mouth said another. I love that you lead with a kind heart. I love that you bring brilliance through your passion of reading and words and that you transfer those skills through all that you do. So thank you for your time, your expertise. I am excited to hear about your new book and thank you for being who you are. And Deb, my wish for you is that you continue to be seen and heard because as you serve leaders, as you help them make better things, things will get better. Absolutely. I like to end the podcast with my favorite list of five things that helps us be purposeful. Follow your heart, have passion, do your best, know your truth, and always be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow. Thank you for joining me once again on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast.